Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, uh, and we have uh, is Andy Taylor, who's the North Carolina State Professor of Political Sciences, who is a North Carolina State Professor of Political Sciences, not all by himself. And he has been a frequent guest, not only on our program, but on numerous uh, media outlets throughout the state, and uh, is a keen observer of the North Carolina, North American political process, even though, as you can tell when he speaks, that he ain't from around here, as we would say. Andy, welcome to the program. Thank, thanks, Don. Yeah, I'm not from around here. Well, I am now. I've been here for a long time. I've been here for 25 years. I'm from around here as much as a lot of people. You know, I'd like right. to go Originally, back and, I'm not. I'd like to go back and pick up some of the earlier programs you did with us 10 years ago and see if your accent is not softening just a little bit. <laughs> I suspect it is. Probably. It probably is. Well, we've had a, a, an interesting week. We've had an interesting month. And we've had an interesting two months. The election, of course, is over. And all the fallout from the election is finally kind of settling down. And and it appears that we will have an orderly transfer of the presidency. But all the fervor around it and what it leaves in its wake as far as the political future, especially the Republican Party, is much in doubt. So, Andy, let's talk a little bit about uh, where we stand and what you think might happen. Um, the president, of course, has been impeached. Now, impeached yep. means he's up for trial. It doesn't mean he's been kicked out of office or uh, any uh, or found guilty. I mean, this is an impeachment is a charge, um, and he will be uh, maybe tried, maybe not. Um, so, where do you see things going right now on the national level, especially? with the impeachment situation and, and the fallout that might have on the Republican Party. Yeah, so, well, as you noted, Don, this has been an incredibly dramatic period of time uh, taking place as it, it has with the backdrop of the coronavirus pandemic as well. Just absolutely um, incredible uh, politics and going on at the moment, uh, unprecedented uh, you know, we can use all the superlatives we want, and I don't think they would be um, wrongly employed. I, I, they, they characterize incredibly what's going on. Uh, so, as you noted, uh, President Trump, who is, you know, now in the last week of his four year term, President uh, elect Biden will be sworn in at noon on January the 20th as the next president of the United States. In the last week of his term, he's been impeached for the second time. This is a uh, uh, unique in American history to have a president impeached twice. Uh, we've only ever had three different presidents impeached. Um, and, and now we've had one of them who's been impeached twice. The Constitution says that after the impeachment of a president, um, that the Senate will have a trial. Uh, and, and that word trial is uh, apt because the proceeding does uh, present itself uh, as people will remember from the first uh, Trump impeachment and Senate trial, it does present itself like a, a legal proceeding, like like a trial. Uh, if two thirds of those senators uh, um, vote to convict the president and the president is removed from office. But as you noted, Don, uh, it may well be that this takes place. Well, it, it does almost seem inevitable that this takes place after uh, President Trump has left office. And so the question becomes, 
is that really something that is worthwhile doing? The removal from office is only one aspect of being convicted, however. It also means that the president would be ineligible to run again, to hold office again, has, has effects on pensions and other, other matters. Um, but uh, it does have punishment beyond being removed from office. So I do think, you know, there are a lot of Democrats who would say we should still do this, even though it might seem to many people to be a moot point. Uh, so, yes, this is just incredible. Um, what does it mean for the Republican Party? You asked that as well. Well, um, uh, Trump is going to be gone from office. Uh, he won't be gone from the public imagination, I don't think, despite the fact that he's been banned from a lot of social media platforms, including Twitter, his favorite. Uh, there will be a sort of Trump element within the Republican Party that may not belong to Trump anymore, but, but could be corralled by someone um, and used uh, for their own per per political benefit to propel them um, to uh, a leadership position within the party and, and maybe a, a, a strong position to win the 2024 nomination. Um, but the party's going to be fractured and split. We had 10 Republicans vote against impeachment in the House of Representatives. That's unique. Never before have we had so many members of the president's party vote to impeach a president. It didn't happen to Clinton. Um, it didn't happen to Trump last time. It didn't happen to Andrew Johnson. So, yes, this is, this is just incredible. Uh, for a student of politics, it's, it's amazing. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, I was thinking about, uh, a number of the House members, of course, are we, in fact, all the House will be up for re-election in two years. Uh, I think the people in the Congress have to worry a little bit more about their re-election process. And so some of them have, of course, been a little afraid to, uh, I think, uh, react and switch their position because of their uh, concern about their re-election. On the other hand, the Senate, one-third is up for re-election, so only one-third of the Republicans would face uh, any challenge in the next election. Uh, so it would appear to me that, uh, that the Republican senators are more likely to vote for impeach, to impeach uh, and find guilty the members of the House. Uh, that, does, that, does that hold? Yeah, that makes some sense, Don. Remember, that you need that the, the more need to because there needs, there's a two-thirds threshold in the Senate rather than the simple majority in the House. And, and I think your, your analysis there is spot on. One thing I would also add to that and, and the argument that it is more likely to have a Republican votes go against Trump, that is to convict in the Senate, than against him or impeach in the House, is that um, majority leader, and he's still majority leader until January the 20th, um, despite the results in, in Georgia. Uh, majority leader McConnell is sort of saying behind the scenes that he could see himself voting uh, to convict Trump. Um, and I suspect that that would, if he, if he indeed did that or um, transparently signaled that, that would indeed lead to a, a, a much larger number of, uh, or proportion at least, of Senate Republicans voting against Trump than we saw that of than the you know ten out of what two hundred you know one twentieth five percent of the Republican conference in the House voting against Trump. I don't think I've seen any projections on the senators that will be up for re-election or election uh, in two years. Uh, 
the of course the uh, Democrats' position is fifty-fifty. They can't afford to lose anybody. So, right. what are who are the senators that are up, and has anybody forecasted how right now that might turn out two years from now? Do the Republicans have a chance of recovering the majority? Well, yes, they certainly do. Uh, history tells us that the midterm elections are unkind to candidates of the president's party. Uh, and it's easier to do this analysis in the House because, as you noted, all 435 House seats are up every two years. So when you're comparing elections with one another, you are doing apples to apples comparisons. But if we just look at the House, there have only been two, on two occasions since 1934 that the president's party has actually picked up, had a net gain of seats in the House of Representatives in a midterm election. That's the election when there is no presidential race at the top of the ticket. And that was, that was 1998, interestingly enough, in the face of the Clinton impeachment. Um, and then 2002, when Republicans under George W. Bush picked up a very, very, very small number of seats, um, mainly on his popularity in, in response to um, uh, uh, 9-11 attacks and the war on terrorism. It, the Senate is not quite so easy to do apples to apples comparisons because it's different groups of senators up every time. And so, you know, of the third of the Senate, say 33 seats, uh, sometimes a lot of those are being uh, um, defended by one party and few by the other. Uh, in, in 2022, we have the, the 2016 um, class coming up. Um, and that would include, for example, in North Carolina, the, uh, um, the Richard Bursey, um, which uh, will um, be empty because Senator Burris said he's not running again. Um, so, you know, it will be interesting to see um, uh, how he reacts uh, to any Senate trial since he won't have the prospect of, of re-election since, since he's, um, he's, he's vacating the seat, he's retiring. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is likely to have more. But the 2016 classes, if I remember right off the top of my head, is pretty evenly split by the parties. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about quite a lot of Democrats who are also up in, in, in 2022. Um, and, um, you know, I think somewhere in the range of about a dozen Republicans who are. For that reason, of course, uh, it would appear that uh, President Biden will have to go slow uh, and uh, be somewhat reserved in uh, big changes because uh, uh, he could very easily lose control of the Senate uh, in just two years. Yes. Yes. Um, I think, you know, everything that he said so far, and he's, he's been speaking a lot about um, the response to the coronavirus pandemic and what he wants to do um, immediately with regards to that, seems to be focused on uh, issues that there could be bipartisan support for. So, uh, focusing immediately, for example, on the getting the vaccine rollout better, making sure that that's uh, going a lot better than it clearly is at the moment, which is not very well. Focusing on stimulating the economy. And so he's going to talk about, I think, and, and try to push for um, stimulus checks for individuals, particularly uh, those who have lost their jobs are talking about $2,000. Um, President Trump agreed with that as well. And, and, and more money for state and local governments as well. He certainly wants to focus on that. Our guest is Andy Taylor, Professor Andy Taylor, and we'll be back with more here on 
Carolina Newsmakers, right after these messages. This is how we do every day. We be grinding. And if you want to come and text us. If you love them enough to turn off your music. And pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. North Carolina State Professor of Political Science, Andy Taylor, is our guest. As you know, he's been with us a number of times and is a keen observer of politics, not only nationally, but here in the state of North Carolina. Uh, Andy, I would be interested in your thoughts on how Joe Biden has behaved during this period of time, his approach to uh the transition. Uh, he has uh, not taken any real position on the impeachment, for example, um, other than to say he doesn't want it to be a, a distraction to his his uh, agenda. Um, and uh, generally speaking, he has been very careful in his rhetoric. Um, how do you gauge how he is uh, conducting himself during this transition period? Yeah, no, I think you're right, Don. I think it's been a been very cautious approach. Uh, he's allowed uh, congressional republic, uh, congressional Democrats, excuse me, um, obviously, particularly Speaker Pelosi, um, to to move forward with impeachment uh, without really expressing any kind of feeling on it. Uh, we're reading between the lines. Um, I think there's been a concern in the Biden transition team um, that it that you know, there could be some cost to them of moving forward with the impeachment and the trial, um, largely policy costs. No, they're not really that concerned about Trump. I think it's more a question of, you know, the, the Senate particularly um, is a, a difficult place to get things through. Senate floor time can easily be dominated by individual senators, and we need to use it as much as we possibly can because they're thinking, um, not only are we going to have an agenda that we want to get through early on, and we all know the importance of the first 100 days in a president's legislative agenda and the success of a president's legislative agenda. Um, and we've already talked about uh, the, the attempt to deal with the um, public health and economic crisis that uh, the coronavirus pandemic has brought about. Uh, but there are we other items as well. Not only do you need the Senate floor time for that, but you have to staff an administration as well. 
um, under Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, uh, in order for secretaries of the various cabinet departments to get their positions, as well as, in fact, thousands of other high-ranking administration officials, they need to be confirmed by the Senate. Um, and there will be debate and, and votes on these things, uh, on these nominations, and that takes time. And so if you have a impeachment trial, which is inevitably going to be drawn out, where the president or then former president, if it's after January the 20th, Trump is going to want to have um, time to defend himself or have his representatives defend him, then this thing could, could consume a lot of valuable time and take away from the Biden agenda and the, and the ability of Biden to put people in his administration. So I think he's, um, uh, it's a good idea. I mean, he's, doing, he's doing the right thing by being concerned with this. Well, it's clear from the 71 million votes that uh, Donald Trump received that there are a number of people who, well, while they may or may not have favored Donald Trump as a person, uh, favored the agenda that he represented Otherwise, they wouldn't have voted for him. So who is poised to be the beneficiary of perhaps becoming the voice for those 71 million people? Who are in the Republican Party are the yeah. rising stars, so to speak? Yeah, well, it would be interesting to see, right? So 71 million people did. You know, it's a 46, 47 percent of the population. Very high turnout election, by the way. Um, in fact, I, uh, both uh, Biden Biden won the most votes that any presidential candidate had in U.S. history, and Trump won the second most. I mean, that tells you obviously the country's growing and the number of voters are growing, but also the turnout was particularly high uh, by modern standards. Um, so he has but it, it, he has a lot of support, but is it support for him? Is it support for uh, Republicans? Um, you know, is it an anti-Biden vote? Well, I'm not so sure if it's an anti-Biden vote. Uh, Biden's um, not necessarily the, the most disliked um, Democratic candidate, particularly compared to the Democratic candidate in 2016. Um, Hillary Clinton was very disliked. But certainly it would be, I think it would be wrong to say that everybody voted for Trump because they are Trump, Trumpisters. You know, they're supporters of Trump. Um, are, you know, they probably would have voted, uh, most of them, maybe even some Biden voters would have voted for a different Republican candidate. So um, but you're right in assuming that there is a at least a, a sizable group there who are very strong on Trump. And with Trump gone, who are they going to be for or, or who's in a position to be able to um, uh, win them over within the Republican Party? Uh, I think we saw some sort of play for that uh, during the um, just before the, the riots um, at the Capitol and the violence at the Capitol on January the 6th in the uh, uh, ratification of the electoral vote in the Senate when you had Senators Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, for example, um, uh, taking prominent roles and saying, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fight this. Uh, many people interpret that, and I think accurately, as placed by those two to sort of be part of the conversation as to who would be the heir to the, to the, to the Trump faction within the Republican Party. So there's two people for you um, straight away. Um, obviously, there are a lot of House members who have also been very st strong supporters of Trump, but they're um, a little less advantaged in trying to uh, win national attention just because uh, they're in the House rather than the Senate.
Um, there are others uh, out there who have had uh, worked with Trump before, but have sort of started to distance themselves from Trump, who might be on the list of 2024 presidential um, possibilities. Uh, people like Nikki Haley, for example, who was Trump's UN ambassador for a while, but has been very sort of um, careful distancing herself for Trump, uh, from Trump, while at the same time sort of expressing some sympathies for the supporters of, of the president. So it's, going, it's, it's a, a fascinating question on, on, on how that will all work out when Trump is gone. Let's talk about the case for impeachment. Um, if you were a lawyer uh, and you were in a court of law, which side would you want to be on uh, as far as what the law is? Uh, not to the political facts, but the, uh, just the, uh, the law and uh, how people are interpreting it as far as the case for whether or not Donald Trump has stepped over the line or not. Well, first of all, we should note, Don, that it is an innately political process. Um, the Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, does say for treason, uh, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors, which makes it sound like it's uh, a, a legal rather than political process. But at the end of the day, it's what a majority of House members and, you know, whether two thirds of senators believe this is impeachable or not, that matters. It doesn't really matter whether it's met some um, absolute clear um, standard or not. Um, it, it, you know, this is what Jerry Ford famously said, you know, it's, it's whatever Congress wants it to mean. But I see you. I do understand your point. Um with regards to sort of you know thinking about it as a legal as a legal thing one thing i said is that i did think all the way along that the tw invoking the 25th amendment was inappropriate and that it, the impeachment was the way to go uh a few reasons um one is that the 25th amendment is in incredibly unwieldy this is a the amendment to the constitution which deals with transfer of power from the president to the vice president if the president's incapable of doing it or in, seen as incapable of performing the responsibilities of the office. Um, the, you know, the, the, the 25th Amendment um, is cumbersome. It, it, it's very involved. It's never really been done before. I'm sure it will get caught in the courts. I also thought it was inappropriate because it really deals with whether a president is, you know, compass mentis or not. Um, and I, I don't think what happened on January the 6th uh, suggests that Trump was any less competent than he was the day before i mean he he he, he it could be seen as an extremely terrible horrible thing that happened and he's culpable but i don't think it speaks to his mental state and then finally hey senate you know the congress was attacked uh congress should do this they shouldn't ask the cabinet and the vice president to do it if they really feel that this is um something that uh disqualifies a president from office then impeach him and remove him from office don't ask someone else to do it so um you know in, in response to your question it is a more a political than legal process but i have been more of an advocate of that way of doing this than people who talked a lot about using the 25th amendment the president seems to be losing uh, all of his closest advisors and those very supportive of him. He has, of course, alienated Vice President Pence. He is now in process of alienating uh, his lawyer, Juliana, uh, by refusing to pay his legal bills, which, by the way, $22,000 a day is a lot of money. Uh, but uh, who, who has any influence with President Trump at this point in time? Who, 
Who is he listening to? Who is giving him advice? It's hard to know. I mean, you know, in many ways, this is a an, uh, rather like the old-fashioned Kremlinology where you're trying to work out what was going on in the Kremlin um, because you just didn't really have any access or or any understanding of, of, of the process at all. And I think that's the same in our White House at the moment. Uh, you're right, though, Don. It does seem to be an ever-diminishing circle with fewer and fewer people having influence. We're probably at the stage here where we're talking about family members as much as anybody else. Um, and, of course, the president himself. Um, and that's always been the case. Uh, the president has been his own chief counsel um, in a political sense rather than a legal sense. But he's been his own his uh, own best ad, uh, and closest advisor. And it's hard to imagine where he goes from this point or what he does other than, you know, um, try to make the best of, of, of what is the worst here and, and possibly think more about his um, life after the presidency um, in, in, in terms of law and finances uh, rather than think uh, as about his future political career. I mean, that, that seems to me something that would be, uh, you know, well beyond uh, anything I would be attending to at the moment if I were him. I, I like your term, make the best out of the worst. Our guest is uh, Professor Andy Taylor, and we will be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after we take time out for these messages. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, what? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, Professor Andy Taylor, who is, uh, has been a guest on our program many, many times uh, and is a keen observer of politics, not only in the state of North Carolina, but across the country as well. We have focused pretty much in this program on what is happening in nationwide and how it's affecting the transition and also the uh, the current situation with regard to impeachment. I want to turn now, Andy, if you will, to North Carolina politics, because North Carolina probably followed what is a little closer to what we would have expected than a lot of states. And for example, North Carolina um, did mostly reelect, uh, especially on the local scene, 
Republican politicians to serve in the General Assembly. Um, at the, uh, uh, we reelected uh, Senator Tillis uh, and uh, we reelected the governor. So it was pretty much a, an election that uh, didn't surprise a lot of people in many respects. Where do we go from here and what is the fallout with regards to the Donald Trump situation for the state of North Carolina and its Republican Party? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, the uh, of the all of the Republicans um, voted uh, this week in the impeachment to um, not impeach or against impeachment of President Trump, uh, with the exception of um, Greg Murphy, who from the from the third district, who who wasn't there, but said he would have. Uh, voted with his Republican colleagues. So we didn't have, none of the 10 were from North Carolina, um, which makes you think that, or, or I guess implied from that, is that Trump, the extent that Trump has control still or significant hold over still at the Republican parties across the country, uh, his, uh, his, his grip in North Carolina is pretty firm. Uh, but I mentioned earlier on that, you know, he's going to be going from the scene. And I think that there's all sorts of dynamics that that's going to unleash um, and opportunities for people to fight over his legacy. And, and maybe those people who have been opponents of, of, the, of Trump within the Republican Party to come out and, and, and start uh, making some noise. Um, the, we, we're still going to be in a, state, a, a situation of divided government. Uh, in North Carolina with um, Governor Cooper and Republican majorities in the House and Senate and Republican majority in the House actually increased slightly, which was a little bit of a surprise for most people. Um, uh, the, the state went for Trump. Um, uh, but, you know, with him gone um, and also, you know, with much of the Republican agenda really enacted um, in the last decade, um not sure you'll see a lot of kind of real energy or, or sort of offensive um, attacking political um, action from from the Republicans. I think they want to protect a lot of the things that they uh, gains that they've made uh, in the 2010s in, at the state level. Um, they will be looking at trying to get some changes done in regulatory policy, particularly, I think. Uh, but other than that, you know, they're going to be forced to work with Governor Cooper, who has his agenda. They all of them have a, a full plate with the response to the coronavirus pandemic. And in North Carolina, we're not doing a great job in some of these metrics at the moment, uh, particularly in vaccinations. And we're near the bottom of the, of the 50 states in terms of the uh, va vaccination rollout. So they've got to kind of work on that. And then there's another round of redistricting as well, which will be very interesting. Right. We, um, and under the North Carolina Constitution, the governor has no role to play. So it will just be the Republican majorities in the House and Senate who will be in charge of the um, state legislative and congressional redistricting for this decade. Once we get the census data finalized, which we don't have at the moment. Uh, and um, but they will be perhaps chastened a little bit. We had a, some ruling. Uh, we had a ruling right at the last couple of years with regards to um, partisan gerrymandering uh, and the constitutionality of that. Um, and uh, that may 
foursome, a more cautious approach uh, by the Republicans in the General Assembly. Yeah, so there, all this stuff is going on, and it's going to make for a very interesting time. The uh, redistricting, of course, almost everybody, while the census data is not out, almost everybody assumes that North Carolina will pick up an additional congressman due to our growth. Uh, does that make it less or more difficult for the Republicans to uh, redistrict in a way where they end up with that extra seat? Or is it more likely that that additional seat will end up uh, in a uh, district that uh, favors the Democrat? Well, it should make it more difficult um, because, you know, you're, you're dealing with the same number of voters or, and the same voters, but you've um, same split between the, the Democrats and the Republicans. But you've got another one there. Um, but it depends on how they how they draw the districts. Um, at the moment, we have uh, an eight five Republican to Democratic split. And really, we only have an 8-5 because the last Congress, we had a 10-3 because of this ruling on partisan gerrymandering um, that effectively uh, took two Republican districts and made them Democratic. Um, so we go to 8-5 with 13. With 14, um, it'll be you know very interesting to see where they, as I said, where they put it. Democrats are at a little bit of a natural disadvantage when it comes to districting because Democrats tend to live in more concentrated together. Republicans a little bit more spread out um, and having a spread out population tends to favor parties uh, in legislative elections and winning seats. Um, but there will be, you know, an interesting battle over this and what to look for in the congressional district, particularly, Don, is not just between the parties but within the parties, or particularly within the Republican Party, whether there are prominent Republicans who have a, an eye on a congressional career um, and will work uh, tremendously hard to get that new district, which, of course, would be a seat unoccupied and therefore presumably easier to win than unseating an incumbent, whether they can try to persuade um, the General Assembly to put that, that seat uh, close to their home. Well, as we've seen many, many times in redistricting, it creates strange bedfellows because sometimes self-preservation takes over and uh, a, a particular district might be uh, not appropriate, but uh, is uh, favored by the incumbent that happens to be in that district. So there can be some strange bedfellows that come out of this situation and uh, that will remain to be seen. Uh, but uh, an 8-5 split could go 8-6 or it could go 9-5. Uh, it's likely that the five Democrats, from what I've looked at, are likely to uh, find themselves in a difficult position for re-election. So it will probably be that swing new district. And of course, North Carolina has now so many unaffiliated voters. We, we say that the district favors Democrats or Republicans. The swing at all of this are the independents who can, of course, change back and forth from election to election as far as how they actually vote when they get in the booth. Yes. And that group of voters is growing at a much faster rate, as you noted, Don, than um, people who, who are registering Democrat or Republican. And that's been a feature of the last decade of North Carolina politics. Um, uh, the, you mentioned the Democrats um, in the House, you know, um, particularly uh, Congressman Price and um, uh, Con Congresswoman 
Adams, maybe Cong Congressman um, Butterfield, uh, you know, they're getting on a little bit in age as well. Um, and if you have some flux or in the, those Democratic districts because of redistricting, maybe because Republicans are going after Democrats a little bit, uh, it, it may well be that you've got an opportunity here for some new, for some younger Democrats um, to break into the, uh, the North Carolina congressional delegation. Uh, that was just something I thought of when you talked about those, those five Democratic districts and, and the fact that maybe the occupants should be a little bit wary during this uh, uh, redistricting season. Andy, one of the things that has concerned me when people register unaffiliated, and I've made it clear on this program several times that I happen to be one who has registered unaffiliated, uh, but uh, these people basically take themselves out of the possibility of being elected as a candidate. Do you see the possibility of independents or people who are registered unaffiliated uh, getting on ballots and actually having a chance to be elected in North Carolina, or will this take some change? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you know, there are, of course, there are two different types of non-democratic and Republican voters. There are the unaffiliated or independents, as you mentioned, but you can um, uh, register as a libertarian uh, candidate in North Carolina, uh, excuse me, as a libertarian voter in North Carolina. Um, and for, I think you can register as well as a Green or a Constitution Party uh, um, voter as well. Um, and so, there you could you could actually win a party's nomination you are registered with that party and and be a candidate in a general election for that political party um uh by not being a republican or a democrat but if you're an independent you're right you 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 can't but my my thinking is that most people who register independents have running for office is the least thing on their mind they're not, not particularly so interested in doing it um and that might be an expression of it uh, in fact there's a lot of research that says that independents are less active and less interested in politics than registered Democrats and Republicans. So there is something to that. But, you know, if you're going to run an independent campaign or even a third party campaign, like a successful libertarian campaign, it's really difficult. I mean, you're going to need money um, and uh, you're going to need a, 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 a megaphone. Um, and it's easier to get the megaphone these days in, in the Internet age. But still um our system is geared to really uh, advantage democratic and republican candidates and uh you know it's it's tough to to break through uh we've got to, there are a lot of other reforms that need to happen um for for, for independence to be a prominent in elected office not just as a, a group of of voters well, it's going to be certainly uh, an interesting thing to watch. And, of course, North Carolina continues to grow. Our growth is not going to stop with the uh, 2020 election, uh, census. Uh, the growth will continue. And as these new voters come in, many of them, of course, are coming in from out of state and have different political persuasions than the people who have been living here for a while. Our guest is uh, Andy Taylor, pres uh, Professor of Political Science at North Carolina State, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, 
I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Andy Taylor is our guest on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. We've discussed the matters that have to do with the second impeachment of President Donald Trump. We've talked about the transition that is up and coming. We've talked about, uh, in, in many respects, the future after the presidency of both the Democratic and Republican parties. Uh, in this segment, uh, I want to sort of touch on some of those topics again and then look at uh, what uh, who you see as the rising stars in North Carolina politics. As we've stated a few moments ago, one of the things that will be coming up in two years is the seat currently held and has been held for some time by Senator Richard Burr. This seat will be very important to the Republicans because uh, they will be trying to regain control of the Senate and they certainly can't afford to lose a state. So who are the rising stars that might be candidates in your opinion for the uh, Republican nomination for the United States Senate two years hence? Well, one person has already said that they're going to run um, is Mark Meadows. Um, and, you know, he seems an obvious heir to the, the, the kind of Trump mantle in North Carolina, um, having been um, chief of staff for Trump, um, being a prominent supporter of Trump when he was uh, head of the Freedom Caucus in the House of Representatives. Um, and so, you know, there's a there's an, an obvious candidate there already announced. Um, if the if the dynamics of the party change um, greatly as a result of Trump um, mo moving out away from the scene, uh, you, you know, you, you're likely to have a number of different challenges. Um, I suspect coming out, people who might see that. Uh, a, a favorite of Trump's would be uh, disadvantaged or would not be as strong a candidate as perhaps you would think in from the vantage point of 2020. Um, so it, it's going to be a, it's going to be competitive. I mentioned the, um, the the midterm effect earlier on in our conversation that the president's party tends to do poorly in midterm elections. Well, it's going to be the Democrats in the White House. And so in a state like North Carolina, in a, in a, in a, a midterm with a Democratic president, you would think the value of a U.S. Senate seat would be pretty high. And therefore, that's likely to attract a lot of competition. Um, the, you know, and, and the, the, the Democrats will have um, 
number of candidates as well um, that, that that will have their eye uh, on the seat. There are some uh, of the Democrats that might be. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm just trying <laughs> to think. You know, I don't know whether Deborah Ross would be. I mean, it would be a, going straight from the House to the Senate. She'd only still be in her first House term, but she ran, of course, um, against Richard Burr last time um, in 2016, and quite creditably. You know, the, the the given the fact that Burr was pretty popular, uh, Trump won the state. Um, and she, many people thought that she did pretty well, and perhaps um, did better than she would uh, than expected, even though she lost. So I'm not sure whether that's an, you know, an ambition of hers. There'll be a number of people in the General Assembly, I suspect. You know, people always talk about Attorney General Josh Stein and, and, and you know, his, his ambitions, although most people think he's got the governorship uh, more in his um, uh, crosshairs, and, and that would be for 2024. But perhaps, you know, people might persuade him to do it. Uh, but it's going to be very competitive. We've got so much... So much attention and so much money for the for the race between um, Tillis and Cunningham this year or last year. Uh, I don't anticipate it'd be any different in 2022. Do you think, uh, even though you'll be in the middle of his uh, second term, do you think Senator, I mean uh, Governor Cooper, will be a possible prospect? He may be. Um, one of the th I do think that Cooper's personality and his politics are better suited to executive office particularly in the current Democratic Party. I mean, you know, you, you're going to need, a, a, it's going to be, it would be a competitive primary even if he was in it. Um, he, he doesn't have, with all due respect, the kind of charisma that sometimes we like to see our politicians having today. Maybe he's more substantive than that, but sometimes in this era of performative politics, uh, social media and TV and what have you, that's not a, a virtue. That's a problem. That's a, that's a liability. Um, the National Party might not find him quite as attractive in a Senate race. Um, you know, the, the North, people in North Carolina see him as a, I think, as a very competent manager, um, but not a, you know, someone who stirs the soul. Uh, you know, I think it would be, I think it would be difficult for him. But as you said, Don, he'd be term limited. He's, he's a political animal. He's, you know, he's been in elected office for over 20 years, um, uh, well over 20 years now. Um, it might He might find it tempting, but it, it would be, a t I, I think he'd be in, in a tough race to even win the Democratic nomination, uh, let alone actually be elected senator. I very seldomly express any opinions on this program because that's the reason I have experts on like Andy Taylor. But I've got a thought, and I want to hear your reaction to it. And that is, it would seem like at, at this moment right now, unless things change, someone coming in from the business world with no political background whatsoever, but a well-known businessman who is not tied down to any political party necessarily, but would have to choose to run on one, might be an interesting candidate. It might be a, a, a time where the public is ready to say, wait a minute, I'm tired of politicians. I want someone else. This person looks like a decent candidate. What do you think about that? Possibly, although, you know, um, you know, that's kind of what Trump, I mean, you're sort of loosely describing Trump. And I think one of the things that, one of the reasons why Trump lost, and of course, remember the election was well before the, the, the assault on the Capitol and all that kind of stuff, is that I think people are, are exhausted. Um, there's this sort of level of Trump exhaustion 
uh, of of they they've had enough of the different. They've had enough of the of the drama. Um, uh, they might want someone who is 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 less like that. Now, you're might be assuming that that person's personality is very different from Trump, even though their I, I, professional I background their <laughs> professional background is very similar, yeah. but their personality is very different. Now, if their no. personality is very different, maybe maybe that is the case. Yeah, no, um, I, I have not sure. someone who is apolitical and, and uh, not at all like Trump. That's what... Well, Trump is... Trump was very... I mean, as far as a presidential candidate was concerned, Trump was pretty non-partisan or apartisan. And he, we didn't even... He didn't really even know he was a Republican until not that long before running for president. He'd given to Democrats very recently. Um, and ideologically, he's obviously very kind of ambiguous or ambidextrous, if you want to call it that. So he will, it's not clear that he really had a sort of political background. What's the most important thing that we ought to be looking for to happen in the next 100 days? I think it's going to be focused on coronavirus. I think it will be public health. Let's get the, the vaccine rolled out uh, and let's get that do, going well. And then I think Biden's going to go for a massive stimulus, which will include PPP, small businesses, uh, bigger stimulus checks to individuals. Uh, and a lot more than Trump wanted uh, spending for state and local governments. I think that's what he's going to really focus on in the first hundred. Interesting. Well, Andy Taylor, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Andy Taylor, professor of political science at North Carolina State uh, University, and we will uh, look forward to seeing uh, exactly what's going to happen in the next uh, couple of months and look forward to having you back on. Program has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll have another interesting guest on the same series of stations all across North Carolina next week. Uh, again, if you'd like to hear a repeat of the broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.